I can't be the only one that has no idea what I'm supposed to be doing. Does it just seem like everyone else has it figured out? I don't know what to do. Well, today on the Latter-day Saint Nutritionist, we are going to talk about revelation and research. Everybody thinks everybody else has it figured out, but really, we're all here learning. So, let's get into it. Ricka Ricka Research and Revelation. This is Zach Cordell, registered dietitian and host for the Latter-day Saint Nutritionist, where food, faith, and science meet. This podcast is not intended to be individualized medical advice. As always, please consult with a medical professional in your area to make sure that your medical history is taken into account to make sure that you get the best care possible. So, as Latter-day Saints, we believe that there is continual revelation regarding God's will for man on earth. Just like we believe there were prophets in the past, we had Abraham, Adam, Noah, Moses. We believe that there are still prophets today. We believe that the Bible is the word of God, and we believe that God revealed scriptures to others too. The nice thing about being a Latter-day Saint is that you are able to receive new information and not simply be static. It's not just there is only one answer and that's all you will ever receive. That's not the only answer to prayer you will ever get. But we believe that there is continual knowledge that is out there. Um, A couple of years ago, during the presidential elections, yes, we're going to talk politics on here, there was a lot of finger pointing towards people who were quote-unquote floppers, meaning that they had a stance and then they changed their stance. And they were saying it like it's a bad thing. But the nice thing about revelation and about research is that when you get new information, you're able to change because you can adapt. All right, so as mentioned in the intro, knowledge is something that we seem to think is perfect and complete and never changing. This is the way that it's going to be forever. Kids think that parents know everything, I mean, up to a certain age, and then they think their parents know nothing. Then they flip their back. And they realize that their parents know quite a bit. In some cultures, people think that doctors know everything. In other cultures, the elders, meaning the old people, they know everything. In different cultures, religious figures know everything. But the reality is, is that we're all still learning and gaining more information. But just to jump into this, um, whenever I was 17, my dad told me, Something that I haven't seemed to have forgotten yet. I was giving him a hard time for not having it all figured out because I was a teenager. And I could see the truth, so why couldn't he? But at church one day he said, you know, Zach, I'm trying just like you. I just got here earlier. And that's when I realized that he wasn't perfect. And that was perfect. He was setting an example for me by trying to be complete. Now, in the scriptures, we have examples of people receiving revelation. You know, Moses getting the children of Israel out of Egypt. Joseph interpreting dreams. 
You had Adam, Abraham, Isaiah, Alma, Samuel the Lamanite, Abinadi, all received continual revelation. They sought answers to prayers. They read the scriptures. They sought further guidance. Lehi, he was told to leave Jerusalem. Then his kids were told to go back to get the plates and then to go back and get families. Joseph Smith was told in the beginning that there was no true church on the earth at the time. Then he was given more information. Then he was visited by the angel Moroni. And then again and again, all in the same night. Then years later, he was visited again and again and again. Then he was given the golden plates. Then he translated and prayed and was given the priesthood and then the Melchizedek priesthood. And then the church was restored and then the word of wisdom and so on and so forth. So why did it happen that way instead of just getting it all at once? Because there's the idea of line upon line and precept upon precept. So how does this relate to research. Okay, so the scientific method, for those of you that don't remember your middle school biology and chemistry course, we'll just go through it real quick. So within the scientific method, the overall process involves making a hypothesis or your best guess. From that, you're going to predict what the consequence of these behaviors are going to be, and then you carry out an experiment based on what your predictions are to determine whether your original guess was going to be right. Then, you have somebody replicate it. So the whole time researchers are doing this, they're acting in faith that something is going to come out of the research that they're doing. So again, as a recap, the scientific method, you have an, a, your best guess, you test your best guess, you find out the results, then you have somebody else do their best test that replicates what you've done to determine if it's going to hold true in that case or not. So continuing revelation and new research is kind of what happens in our society. We all think that, again, everything is going to be static. It's all perfect. We already know it all. And then when you find something new out, it kind of shatters your world. And you're like, wait a minute. I thought that eggs were bad for you. Sometimes people get bitter because they feel like something's changed that wasn't supposed to change. And if you talk to your parents, a lot of you will realize that your parents were told that eggs were bad for you. But let me break it down for you real quick. So with eggs, eggs do have a lot of cholesterol in them. And so we had assumed, because of the research that was done, that when you eat dietary cholesterol, which is in eggs, then your blood cholesterol is going to go up. And that was the case. However, as we learned more about it, we realized that the saturated fat that is in those food items that contain cholesterol are going to, that saturated fat is going to raise your blood cholesterol more than eating dietary cholesterol would raise your blood cholesterol. So that's whenever the research came out and said that eggs are not as bad as you had thought because the cholesterol in them is not as bad for you as we had previously believed, because we have more information. Now, they weren't wrong, but it's more so that they didn't understand the correct mechanism that was causing those things to happen. The same thing happens with vitamins and minerals and other micronutrients, whether it's a superfood or it's going to be phytonutrients or isoflavins or flavonoids or beta carotene, all these other good things, there's always this new hot thing that comes out because they've done research 
and they found out that this certain micronutrient can reduce your risk for cancer or is an antioxidant or is some other type of beneficial property to it. And there's always going to be that new hot thing. However, being able to determine where the red flags are can really be helpful for you. And maybe we'll do like red flags and what you should look for to see if things are going to be wrong or if it's just being misinterpreted or if it's being overstated in a new episode. Now, let's take a quick break and when we get back, we'll get into it. There's going to be an upcoming episode in the middle of the month that gives my thoughts on the most recent general conference. My family's going through quite a bit of changes right now, so I haven't been able to get that out just yet. But I wanted you to know that I do remember and have plans on getting to that soon. So in light of talking about Revelation, let's get back to the episode and talk more about research. So again, as a recap, the scientific method, you have your best guess, you test your best guess, you find out the results, then you have somebody else do their best test that replicates what you've done to determine if it's going to hold true in that case or not. But for right now, I wanted to go over the different types of studies that are out there, okay? Because I think if you understand how studies are built, then you'll be able to better understand what those actually mean and how they can be used. So the first study we'll talk about, or the study type, is going to be a cohort study. And this is where you follow a group of people for a long while and you see what happens to them. And from that, you can deduce what those people may have had in common that led them to develop a certain disease. Okay. This is going to be beneficial in cases like where you have pregnant people. Okay, you can't really sign a pregnant person up for a study and say, hey, let's see how much alcohol we can give you before you develop fetal alcohol syndrome. Or let's see how much of this medication you can take before you're going to start to have an impact on the development of your baby. So you can't really do that. But once the babies are born, if you have been following those women who have made different choices, you can group them together, find out what those behaviors were that they had, and who was more likely to develop certain issues, either during the pregnancy for the, the mother or after the pregnancy for the baby. So that's where a cohort study would be beneficial. Another one is whenever they would follow people throughout the course of their lifetime, and they could see what behaviors might be more likely to lead to developing a stroke. One of the biggest types of these studies is the nurse's study. And it's very beneficial because you can see those who eat more fish are going to have more likelihood to have a lower heart disease. Those who are going to be less likely to smoke are less likely to get different types of cancer. And so you can follow these along and you can see different trends that are available. However, this is solely going to lead to correlation. 
So you don't know that that's causing it, but you can see that the trends show that if somebody does these things, they're more likely to get this. We don't necessarily control for everything else. We can't see everything else that's influencing it, but you can see that those people that smoked were more likely to get lung disease. Now, on the flip side, you can't just sign people up and be like, we're going to let you smoke and you're not going to smoke and we're going to see which one of you gets lung disease. That's a little bit more unethical. Now, the next type of study is a double-blind study. A double-blind study is when researchers and participants don't know who is going to get what. So you analyze the results and then from there you can find out if the group who got a placebo or a sugar pill was more likely to get a certain illness or to be healed of a certain illness or to be treated for a certain illness or if the person who got the actual medication had a better outcome because of receiving the medication. So this is going to be beneficial because in this case you're able to test out one thing versus another. So you can give somebody a sugar pill which isn't really going to do anything for them but they don't know that they're getting the medication or not or you can give the other group a pill that is going to be a new drug or a medication that is supposed to help heal. And then you can see if the people that got the placebo healed just as much as the people who got the medication or not. If they do, then you know that the medication isn't necessarily going to be very beneficial. The next one is going to be a randomized trial. So, so far we've had cohort studies, we've had double-blind studies, and now we're going to talk about randomized trials. So when you have a randomized trial, you put a group of people that are random into either group so that no one group is getting special treatment, and then you can test them from that situation. Now, each study, again, is going to have their own place and their own function. Like I said, you can't do a randomized or double-blind studies on pregnant women to see which one is more likely to get a birth defect on a child. That would be an instance where you're going to have a uh, lot of people that are very upset with you. But you can use a cohort study to do something like that. It's important to recognize that correlation is not causation. And whenever I say that, what that means is that just because there is some type of connection there doesn't mean that that is causing it to occur. The reason that's important is because just because you're parked outside the church doesn't mean that you're in Relief Society. You could have a car that's parked outside of the church because maybe somebody needed to park there because they didn't want to pay for parking at the airport and so they figured they'd park at the church and then uh, they get a ride to the airport. Or maybe they did park at the church but there's no adult women in that car and so they don't go to the women's class or maybe it's a youth driving that car so again just because that car is parked in the parking lot does not mean that that is going to be a person that it is in relief society or the adult women's class at church in the same way you can have correlation in research studies that don't necessarily mean that this one item causes this other item to happen but by way of reminder, the scientific method, again, is just about creating your best guess. And then you test out that guess, you find out what the results are, and then you try to replicate it. So what you're doing is you're exercising faith 
to get results and then analyzing the results that you get. So again, researchers still have to exercise faith, whether it's going to be in a higher power or in the knowledge that we already have. They're learning line upon line and precept upon precept. The method of how we pray and get answers is pretty similar, right? You study it out in your heart and in your mind. And from there, you pay attention to the spirit to see what the answers would be. And then you act in faith to implement the choice that you've made and continue to check in to see if you're still on the right path. So sometimes people think that science is bad or it's wrong or it's misleading. But the thing is, is that we're all still learning. And revelation can be similar to that. Elder Holland gives the example of praying about which road to choose when him and his son were at a national park and they had two options. They could choose a road on the left or on the right. And they, they chose one road, they followed it, and then it was a dead end. But it happened pretty quickly, and from that, they learned that that was the wrong road. So now they knew that the right road was the other one that they hadn't chosen. So they made a hypothesis, they acted upon that hypothesis, and realized that it was a dead end. And so now they changed their hypothesis and tested that one out too. All we're doing in this life is forming a hypothesis about various things in our lives. Whether you term it research or revelation, it's about gaining knowledge and bettering yourself, your situation, or the world around you. So keep learning, keep growing. Next time you think about praying, think about it as research. You're just gaining more information. And next time you form a a research hypothesis, consider it revelation. This has been the Latter-day Saint Nutritionist. Thanks for joining us. Again, I will have a episode coming out on what I gained from this most recent general conference where the prophet and the 12 apostles and the other leaders of the church spoke with us and some of the revelation that I gained from that. Keep learning. Keep growing. This has been the Latter-day Saint Nutritionist. And we'll talk next time.